I think this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship. Take one. Do you want anything from the shop? Chocolate. It doesn't say anything about a chocolate, does it? And welcome to the 64th Spool.ie podcast with me, Nigel Whitley, and him, Pork Me Yo. Hello. We're like a Beatles song when I get older. Yeah. Um, anyway. Uh, so this can I give you a bit of trivia about a Beatles thing just as yes. uh, I was lucky enough to see the farthest documentary and uh, I'll have a review of it it's not out for a couple of weeks yet what is it uh, it's a documentary about a space program uh, Predacola oh, yeah. Yeah. and um, it but Voyager kind of goes all around the world or around the galaxy <laughs> kind of looking at different planets um, our solar system so there's uh, on the spaceship as well is a gold disc with kind of sums up humanity uh, it's a record and it has one half is music and kind of the other half is sounds of the world so it's loads of people saying hello so the only European song they have on it is Johnny Be Good by Chuck Berry they wanted to get the Beatles to put it on it but the Beatles wouldn't let them the only rock only European kind, or like you know Western Western music so the other is kind of world music and classical music and stuff yeah like that. So said to the Beatles were like, uh, you know. no one will ever hear this. Yeah. Like, and they were like, no. Yeah. Uh, good. There you go. Uh, thanks for that. So that's called The Farthest. Yeah. Gonna... It's out in a couple of weeks. Cool. So um, anyway, we've got reviews of Dunkirk, War for the Planet of the Apes, The Pilgrimage, It Comes at Night, Spider-Man Homecoming, and The Big Sick. So we'll start with something a little different. Um, at the time of recording, neither of us have yet seen Dunkirk, but you're going very soon. I'm going to go on holidays, so we're going to insert your review. So we're now going to travel into the future. Every hour the enemy pushes closer. Can't we evacuate? It's impossible. So there we had a clip from Dunkirk, the new Christopher Nolan film, which opens on Friday the 21st of July. So it could have been out a week, pretend, and on when you've listened to this. Um, Yeah, 70 millimeter glory. It's his kind of bent night, all his film in that. So, yeah, he always gets his way. So I've seen this trailer now. I feel like it's been shown for about a year and I've seen it about 50 million times and it's about 20 minutes long uh, before every single film I've seen. And I don't know if that just makes me hate it because of that. Maybe the first time I saw it, I was like, this doesn't look too bad, but now I hate it. Okay, yeah. I just to clarify, Nigel hasn't had a sex change. Uh, we're joined by Lisa. We're doing a bit of jiggery-pokery for the interview. Yeah, it's kind of weird. Um, the film, there's lots of trailers and different wee promos out for the whole thing, but you don't see too much in it. It's kind of the three, the same three scenes from for the entire film. And it's kind of obvious when I, now I haven't seen the film why there isn't too much like dialogue or it is the same stuff that's in the trailer because there isn't much dialogue in the film full stop. You know, so he kind of has set the film. It's the shortest film to date. It's only an hour and 46 minutes. I had a quick check there. All the rest of his films were like two hours, two hours, 20 minutes. I think The Dark Knight Rises was touching like three hours. So it's quite a departure for him in that it's so short. It's a historic take, but kind of, as I mentioned on my review online, if you have a read of it, he still kind of does a bit of uh, trickery with the timing in it because certain stuff was happening and I'm like, hang on a minute, it's night time there and they're cutting to these lads in the airplane and it's daytime, what's going on? And then something happens, you're like, oh, right, that's going on. So it's kind of, we have three strands in it. Um, The first is the lads on the boat trying to get back to England. 
uh, just kind of the ships and everything, the second strand is three guys in the Spitfire. And the third strand is the kind of what everybody knows Dunkirk as the the kind of boats coming towards like the civilians coming in their small wee boats to rescue all the soldiers. So they're kind of the three strands um, that you can see in the film. Okay, so will I like it? This is the thing that I want to know. I'm not a big fan of films that don't have a lot of dialogue, you know, um, how it, if you can't hear the characters, how can you get to know them? This is kind of true and, you know, I would recommend you to go and see it um, and most people. Sure, just solely for the spectacle of it. It's kind of designed for that in cinema. Like, it's not Saving Private Ryan. There's nowhere near the, like, emotional depth or, like, the first 20 minutes, half an hour of Saving Private Ryan has the same wow factor for the, like, all the wrong ways. You know, it's not, like, the horrificness of war. So, kind of... um. Dunkirk definitely has that, but it doesn't have the emotional core. And I think he's not going for that, to be fair to him. So you're kind of fair enough. So if you don't see it in the cinema with the amazing sound, I don't think it's going to do anything for you. You know, it's it's impressive. The Spitfire scenes are amazing. They look fantastic. I'd love to see a documentary on how they did that. And kind of on certain making of, just because of the fact that he shot in 70mm. It's not like he's got like a handy cam with, you know, that's all digital and everything. So that kind of fascinates me. Um, yeah, he does it in a fantastic way with the uh, kind of the tone of it and the, the tension that the score by Hans Zimmer is amazing. It's kind of constantly ratcheting up. There's this like ticking clock and really screeching violins that kind of have you on edge for the entire thing. And like the main character, Tommy, um, who is played by uh, Fionn Whitehead, like for the first maybe 15 20 minutes there's no sound there's no dialogue or nobody talks in the film he's almost like a deserter figure or kind of a coward he just wants to get on a ship at all costs so you're kind of torn that this is kind of who your main character is but nolan is kind of showing that like these are just kids who are in this primarily and they want to get as far away from this as possible which is done really really well why would I continue to watch it? Did you care about it at all? Is it just the fact that it looks amazing? Is that the only thing it has going for it? For me, kind of, yeah. And because it's so short and it is so intense, you can only take kind of so much of that. Like from the very first 20 seconds, bullets are going off and you're Im- immediately kind of jolted into the presence of it. Now, you're not really going to care after it. Like uh, the Irish actor Barry Keown uh, plays a character. He's aboard the boat that, jack rylance um navigates uh, over to dunkirk so he's on that but like that old storyline is really weird and that's killian murphy comes into it there and you're kind of like this doesn't sit well really yeah because when you mentioned about a deserter character i immediately thought of killian murphy from the trailer because he's so like i don't want to go back to dunkirk don't make me go back no no okay. he has it, it that's a different kind of storyline in it but where that goes you're just kind of like this is a bit daft and but that is trying to add heart to the film and kind of get the insanity of it in some other way but it's just it's too short to kind of give it any warrant I'm not a big fan of Tom Hardy and I continue to be unimpressed by him in this like in fairness he has nothing to do in this film he just sits in a cockpit it's just like for like 20 minutes and he scribbles some stuff in chalk on his uh, flight deck because he can't tell his fuel gauge so like that's kind of all he has to do. There's a very funny bit where um there's three Spitfire pilots and you only ever see two of them because before you see the third one, I realized it was like, that's Michael Caine who's doing the voice of it. Michael Caine's in a lot of Christopher Nolan films 
and I was like, how are they going to do this? Is he going to be like CGI so he looks really young? But he's got an amazing voice for like an RAF pilot. Uh, but they kind of they handle it well. Um, but I kind of thought that was a cool gimmick. So, so they handle it well, like as in it, it's just some other randomer and they've dubbed him over. No, you'll have to go see the film. Um, but that was kind of cool. It was almost like a Martin Scorsese trick where Scorsese usually is in his films and it reminded me for Bringing Out the Dead. He's the voice of the ambulance uh, controller in it. So that's kind of one for people to watch out. Harry Styles is pretty decent in it. He kind of ends up being the character with some of the most dialogue in the entire film. And there's a really good scene to do with his posse because the deserter kind of character hitches up with them and then this becomes a very tense situation when they're trying to get a boat to float and that kind of to me was where you're like oh the real drama in it with that um Kenneth Branagh you know I kind of wonder how long these lads were on set I'd say most of the work was done with all the extras like Kenneth Branagh has about five lines so I'd say he was on set for about two days where they're just like just walk up and down this pier look over there to the sun we'll do everything else see you now so um I kind of did, I was like you going into it being like, I kind of wanted to hate it because I'm not a big Christopher Nolan fan. And especially I thought it could, you know, fall foul of the whole, you know, post-Brexit, oh, British and great and we don't need anyone else. And like a lot of the times during the campaign when they were doing the whole yes or no for Brexit, it was just like, oh, we just need that old Dunkirk spirit. So it's not as triumphant as any American take on this would be. It's not real like flag waving or anything like that. So I was kind of relieved by that. But very enjoyable. Definitely go see it in the cinema. But it's not the five stars that everyone is kind of making it out to be. All right. I suppose I'll have to go and, you know, hate it and then give out to you about it and give out that you made me go. Yeah, perfect. Um. Yeah, so it's out uh, Friday the 21st. And even if you don't like it, it's very short. It's only an hour and 46. Okay, back to the rest of the podcast. I think this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship. Take one. Wow, you really liked Dunkirk. Slash. Or did I? Wow, you really hated Dunkirk. That's so controversial slash interesting or whatever. <laughs> anyway, that went well. Um, Smell-O-Vision as well. Who would have thought that they'd do that? You know, the smell of the damp French beaches. Anyway, um, in cinemas right now is the third and final part of Matt Reeves's Planet of the Apes revival trilogy, which is called War for the Planet of the Apes after Rise and Dawn. Dawn. Did you like yeah. the titles at the start? The way they did uh, that? I thought they were good, yeah. yeah. And it was a good little refresher of things. So mm-hmm. um, the trilogy is, right now everyone's kind of claiming it to be one of the strongest blockbuster trilogies of all time. And uh, probably rightly so, but we're dealing with the story of Caesar and his uh, troop of apes. Um, they're forced into a battle. They're kind of on the run, but living somewhat independently. But there's kind of living in the woods. There's a colonel, uh, yeah, played by Woody Harrelson, who is kind of ruthless and horrible and has its vendetta against them. But then it transpires that he, happy to kill some of them, but wants to capture them and make them build a big wall for him. So it turns into a bit of a you know, Lord of the Rings Two Towers um, situation mixed with stuff like Apocalypse Now and there's all this Vietnam. Probably Apocalypse Now hugely and there's a bit of Jimi Hendrix music in there. Especially there's a bit in the server where they have Ape Apocalypse Now. Yeah, that was... I was just trying to understand... Because you got to see this in 3... Well, you you saw this in 3D. Because yeah. we were saying they had a weird release schedule where it came out yeah. Wednesday. So Wednesday, Thursday, Friday... You Tuesday. Could, oh, Tuesday, Wednesday, yeah. Thursday. You could only see it in two, 3D. And then 2D versions were available on Friday. 
I'm very annoyed by this. Um, it's fine if you're going to do it properly and like it, if it's for artistic reasons, like, but this one was not conceived as a 3D picture. It's only a and when commercial I, when I only saw it a day or two ago in 2D and when I was kind of watching, I was just like, what the fuck is 3D about this? Like, yeah. I thought it looked well, ama- amazing. It, like, it yeah, looks... It, it, it looked like it looks about. great but yeah. i was like there's no like bits flying at me no. or so it was as far as i know a commercial and it felt like a real commercial cash grab kind of thing to just do it like that um i also saw it in cinema three in the lighthouse cinema which is a terrible cinema for 3d it's great cinema of course no nothing controversial here against the, mm. the cinema but the the projectors aren't they're not powerful enough not enough lumens kicking that screen so it means your glasses it feel it felt like this whole film was in the dark and I should probably write to them and let them know that, but it's annoying. Like you do realize that a good, a well presented three D film has its merits and everything like that. And in yeah, um, you know, in particular, Cine World IMAX or even the Galactic thing in the Savoy. Like these films, the screens are bigger, and there's an experience there. Even some of the ones in Soulless Liffey Valley are very, very good at presenting this. But Cinema Three in the Lighthouse, not a good three D film um, screening. But anyway, um, what do you think of the film? I thought it was quite good. We might take a bit of a clip here with uh, Steve Zahn plays Bad Ape. And this is kind of his intro. This is probably the only bit of lighthearted kind of humor in the film, this character, I think. So uh, we'll take a little bit from him just to change the tone a little bit. Are there more like you? More apes from zoo? Dead. All dead. Long time. Human gets sick. Ape gets smart. Then human kill ape, but not me. I run. And he's from a zoo. A zoo. To a zoo. Um, but I, yeah, I just on that character there. To me, the first. Um, so is it a spoiler to say what the colonel does? No, I don't. I, so, I don't. Know. What's he do? So the colonel rocks up to. Uh, basically they want to kill Caesar because he's kind of like the leader of the apes and the kind of figure if they kill him sure it'll turn into anarchy and they'll basically have won the war so the colonel rocks up to the secret ape hideaway um, and kills what he thinks is Caesar but actually kills his wife and uh, son ah yeah that's in the first yeah so then this kind of sets Caesar on a revenge path to get the colonel and to me then it kind of turns into like a real western where it's like Caesar and uh I was going to say three gorillas, but like three, the three muscle guys from the gang and the rest of the posse go off to this new land where they hope to get safety and, you know, live happily ever after. Yeah. Maurice, the big orange Utang. Yeah. Um, so. And they find a tiny human. Then they come across the, this yeah. uh, bad ape who is basically Moe's for me from the searchers because I was just like, this kind of like the searchers. And then to me, he kind of looks like Moe's because he's bald and he's kind of talk. He's a bit gone in the head and uh, but he's really nice and gentle uh, so I kind of thought that was a big influence as well yeah and that was my like favourite part of the film that kind of first 40 minutes before so the stuff with Woody Harrelson maybe not amazing I thought it was okay it was too much too much Colonel Curtsy and you yeah. know Apocalypse Now and stuff yeah, like that and he was grand though yeah Um. yeah I think it was the weakest of the three as a trilogy I think it's a very capable film I couldn't get past my annoyance at the 3d and how it was so dark yeah cranky nudge yeah uh, so i'd be give it a, a solid three and a half i think though yeah there was and stuff i want towards... to see it again yeah and i liked how it all ended as well and the mo like, there's not even any everyone's talking about the motion capture stuff and andy circus playing caesar like it is 
incredible. Yeah, it's phenomenal. It's so good. And it looks all of it looks so great. And I think it looks so great is because most of the actors are there, aren't they? Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's motion capture. So it's they're, not like they're, they're doing totally... Yeah, they're doing performance and it's... It's, you know, everyone, every time the award season kind of comes around, people more and more are talking about when is one of these motion capture performances going to win an award or is it an art form of itself or what? But never. He's just, he's just well, if I black mean, people still can't win Oscars, you know. Yeah. Would that be the ultimate slap in the face? A white guy playing, playing a, uh, well, an animal or a creature or yeah. something like this. Yeah, maybe then if we can't achieve racial diversity. But anyway, it. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, I, re- I did really, really enjoy a lot is about there, it but it's their signature song from the first film because in the second film um the weight by the band is played at some point mm. when they discover power and in the second one you have the Jimi hendrix in the third one it's Jimi hendrix hey joe can't remember so i wonder in the first one was yeah. there like a signature but well done to matt reeves and did that he, did he direct all three uh, yes okay cool that's pretty cool then it is a solid you know need to confirm trilogy that. yeah i was gonna ask that earlier but i wasn't kind of sure and uh, so it's nigel frantically you know kicks the researcher up the arse to figure that out uh will we go on to spider-man oh spider-man yeah so that came out about a week or two ago who starred and it stars um tom Tom. holland who's going to be in pilgrimage later so it's you know it's all connected so uh yeah tom holland as spider-man it kind of starts a bit jerkily with um explaining why he was in captain america civil war and uh it's kind of done as if he is shooting like a an Instagram story where Tony Stark kind of gets him and uh, gives him the suit. And then he's there and he's just like, oh, look, I'm fighting. Because in Captain America Civil War, he just kind of rocks up. So yeah. now this goes to before that or yeah. like kind of is that That's that jumping point? It's very yeah. clever. Um, so Matt Reeves famously did not um, direct the first time. They have some was Rupert Wyatt and then he came in and everything. So um, apologies. Researcher has just been fired. There'll be a vacancy. Um up tomorrow check on, the website under vacancy and monster.e as well so uh anyway yeah so uh that this kind of had a feel i wasn't that interested about it but then uh, a friend at work said oh it's kind of meant to have a bit of a, like a teen movie vibe and i was like oh go on and uh, there's one scene in the film where i was like oh this is very like ferris bueller's day off and then he runs by a tv that's playing ferris bueller's day off <laughs> so i was just like oh yeah yeah it's again it's in the deadpool camp of so so smart and self-referential that it's almost like he, it feels like it's immune to criticism because yeah. like well no we meant to do everything and he is a teenager he's not like a, a 25 year old pretending to be a 14 year old and it starts with him he's already been bitten by a spider yeah uh, his uncle's already ben. dead yeah, yeah it's so it's good. great yeah and it's all good um and marissa tomei plays aunt may so she's gotten considerably <laughs> younger than previous films so no it is it is good i thought michael keaton um not great oh i uh, loved him i thought he was basically just being like batman and birdman as playing and beetlejuice kind of yeah was oh, that what the character was called i wondered mm. if it was like moth person or something no it didn't really that bit didn't really work for me and a bit one-dimensional uh. but i guess what i did like was that it was a very micro little villain and a story and it wasn't about saving the universe it was just kind of about saving little bits of New York and stuff, which was always what Spider-Man was about rather than uh, the Avengers stories and Captain America's, which have gotten so big and Guardians of the Galaxy, the yeah. scale of them is kind of preposterous. Um, this is a nice small kind of film. So, ah, yeah. And Tom Holland as a Spider-Man is great. Is it confirmed for a trilogy or anything? Uh, I think they're continuing on and they've got the kind of MJ angle. Did you like that reveal? Oh, yeah, yeah. I so, thought that was cool. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. There's a pop star in the film called Zendaya who... 
Moody doesn't need a name and she plays uh, someone who may or may not be Mary Jane Watson. So uh, I guess the other one, It Comes at Night. Yeah. It's sort of a, not a horror film, more of a psychological. uh, Kind of this post-apocalyptic, you know, buzzword. Is that the most overused genre at the moment, post-apocalyptic? Yeah. A bit like The Walking Dead. We should have a a five minutes silence. Not five minutes. Ten second silence for uh, George A. Romero, who died. Uh, Yeah. There we go. Anyway, so... um, yeah, it's directed by Treya Edward Schultz and stars kind of it starts with um like a older couple saying goodbye to uh, like a granddad figure and who's then taken out into the woods and shot in the head and buried and burnt. Um so Joel Edgerton plays Paul and his wife is Carmen uh Ejigo. Uh he plays Sarah and then they have a kid Kelvin Harrison Jr who is Travis so they're kind of living in this house. It's quite big. It's all boarded up in the middle of the woods. And then one night... And someone... they've got very set routines and yeah. rules about you don't go out that door, you don't go out that door. And there seems to be a virus because the reason to kill the father, the grandfather... At the very start, yeah. Yeah, is that he's kind of covered in sores and, and everything. And all this yeah, but it's the kind of thing in the film where you never find out what happened. It's just... It's always cheaper to do that because it doesn't really involve any like special effects or big explosions. Or science research. Yeah. Yeah. At one point during the film, I did wonder maybe like are they just all mad and the world's kind of carrying on normally and you know. That would be the um, M Night Shyamalan version where they just go into the woods one time and they land on the M fifty. Yeah. Like, all right. <laughs> yeah. So someone breaks into the house one night and it turns out it's uh, Christopher Abbott who plays Will and he's just looking for food for his family. So then. Uh, Joel is not very trusting of them. He's just kind of like, mm, I don't know, kind of ties him to a tree, a tree outside, uh, leaves him for a couple of days. But then the wife manages to talk him into being like, well, maybe you should go and help him and blah, blah, blah. So they go and get their family and they all start living together. But then the the son of the married couple keeps having these like... And he's what? Maybe he... Like, 16, 17. Yeah. And then the boy and the other family is five, six. Five, yeah. So he keeps kind of having these nightmares and where like for the first couple, you don't know, oh, is this really going on? But then you realize like, no, they're these has like nightmares he's having and stuff. And so it kind of is building with this sense of unease, but like nothing really happens in it. And then there's what well, I went to the, the spoiler about like what the like climax or... You don't want to ruin it too much. But. No, yeah. So then there's obviously a moment of conflict and kind of sets the whole thing off. But like, to me, it's just, I, I wasn't like, bits of it were, it, it ramped it up and it kind of, there is a tension in it, but like, didn't care too much about the characters. It's not that original. You've kind of seen that before where it's just like a family cooped up and this sense of drama and like, oh, is there something there? Or like, because in the trailer it kind of makes you think that there's like, some evil spirit living in behind this closed door. But then when you go and see the film, it's just like, oh, it's about a virus. And you're like, oh, okay. Yeah, the trailer, and it's been documented elsewhere, that it's quite misleading, that it's not a supernatural story, we don't think. No. Um, yeah, I was thinking about it. I really did like it. It's really, really well executed, well done. But I suspect I won't remember much. If if you tell me in five years, remember that film about the two mm. family who lived out and I'd be like, hmm. I noticed oh. someone on Twitter today commenting who had seen it uh, and mentioning The Survivalist, the kind of Irish Northern Ireland film from a year or two ago that was much better. And I was like, oh, yeah, that was much better. And it kind of had that same thing of like, you know, mm. last people alive, you know. Yeah. I'm just a bit sick of this narrative now. Like it's 
being done to death with The Walking Dead and stuff like that, you're a bit like, can we move on? Yeah. You know? But I'd still kind of recommend it over, so if you want something a little bit of a smaller, but maybe not worth the... One for the Netflix movie. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, to carry, I, I said earlier that um, Tom Holland was in Spider-Man. He's also in Pilgrimage, uh, an Irish film, which uh, came out about a week or two ago, now, I would imagine. And, um, yeah, it's set in 1229... Um, AD in Ireland. Just had to get my uh, times right there. It wasn't BC. Uh, AD and um, what did you? Th- you got mixed up with what BC is. No, I was just like it's not, no, because it's yeah. So it was AD um, or CE if you know if you're not into the whole. Not uh, into the Christ bit, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it's about a bunch of monks living in the west coast of Ireland who are the keepers of a relic. And the relic is, um, well, actually, we have a clip here that kind of explains what's going on. So here we go. After Judas betrayed Christ, the apostles cast lots to replace him. And Matthias from Bethlehem was chosen. Following the death and resurrection of our Lord, Matthias traveled north to spread the gospel to the barbarians of Cappadocia. So they're carrying around the rock that was used to the final rock that stoned Matthias uh, to death in 59 AD. Um, so yeah, Where did they get it? Uh, the Holy Land. Handed down. Yeah. Okay. From generation of monk to yeah. generation. Um, so yeah, it starts with Tom Holland and he sees horses arriving to this kind of remote monastery in the west of Ireland. And it's... Um, Stanley Weber, who plays this, this Cistercian, who's uh, coming from Rome, the Pope has basically sent him over to be like, look, uh, we fear that you're going to get attacked and the relic is going to go into Norman hands or wrong hands, so we want to bring it back to Rome because it'll be seen as a great like torch to claim back the Holy Lands and Jerusalem and everything. Um, so the, the thing about this, or maybe why it got a bit of, you know... Uh, attention is there's lots of irish language in it again uh tom holland speaks it and it's it's kind of weird because he obviously there's subtitles in the film and it's good that there are subtitles because uh, like we both studied irish we're not fluent speakers but you would recognize words but when tom holland speaking you were like what words is he speaking there it's it's tough for him like because he's obviously never spoken irish before so it is kind of tough and then you have other like irish-born actors in the film and when they're speaking irish you're like oh yeah that's what i kind of remember more so um so that kind of is a bit weird and then when he speaks english in it in time you don't know what kind of an irish accent he's doing it's a bit like it's not as bad as you know far and away or something like that but it's a bit like mm. so you're not happy with the performance of tom holland it sounds. no not yeah. really uh he also doesn't have a is it a tonsure is that the monk haircut is that what that's called yeah and i don't know is that because he's just a novice because that comes up in the credits it's like the novice or you know brother jermid so it's only when you obviously get to a certain level of monk you get the tonsure or maybe it's like lads i have to shoot spider-man in two months so you can't be shaving me head because <laughs> everyone else has one uh an amazing performance from john bernthal or bernthal yeah so you'd know him from the walking dead Daredevil Street. show where he plays punisher yeah and yeah wolf of wall street so he plays a mute character in it and it's kind of bit like you know that episode of the simpsons where the chinese mafia turn up to homer and they're all going nuts in the lawn and there's one guy in a white 
who doesn't do anything. And, uh, or it could be the Japanese Yakuza. And he's like, oh, what's that guy going to do? So the whole time you're kind of wondering that about the mute, where he's just like, he's obviously got some shady background. And, you know, because all the monks are like, he just turned up on our shore in a boat with no oars. And he's just kind of be helping us out. So he's doing some kind of atonement and whatever. Then, um, so these brothers kind of go with the Cistercian to get the relic to Rome and across the way they're kind of attacked by Normans who are supposed to give them a safe passage to Waterford to get out of the country but kind of double cross them and then also the native Irish clans or whatever who have kind of rejected religion because they you know tried to embrace Christianity but it didn't work out for them so they're like screw this and like there's lots of interesting points in the film where it's kind of the whole notion of relics which are kind of in my opinion insane like but you kind of forgive them because of the time it was like this notion of superstition involved in it but it's very hard like from that point to get involved with the film and not to be like this is a load of nonsense and um, it's incredibly violent the thing that shocked me is like when the credits come up it was like 18 so i was like this is 18 <laughs> i was like because there's no woman in the film so it's just like it's not because any sex that's in the film it's violence. so it's all violence and it has some pretty grim tortures uh, there's a great performance by uh, John Lynch. You'd kind of know him to see from different things. He plays Brother Kieran, And uh, the film's directed by Brendan uh, Muldani. And he directed Savage from a couple of years ago. Don't you know if you remember that? It's about a guy in Dublin who gets attacked. Yeah. And then kind of retreats. And then you find out why he was attacked. So it kind of has those same things of violence and masculinity. And it is touching on the notion of like religion and redemption and the whole notion of relics. But the kind of Irish language thing took away from it a bit for me and just it was hard to kind of get into the whole believe not believability it was just like I kind of didn't care about what what was going on so what are you giving it stars I give it three three interesting and in cinemas now yeah I think what's interesting with it as well I haven't seen it yet but I hope to see it Uh, but uh, the DOP cinematographer on it is Tom Comerford who also did uh, The Drummer and the Keeper Michael inside and this, which all premiered at Galway within twenty four hours of each other. Wow, fantastic! So you don't you don't get a film yeah, in years yeah. like he did. Your Ugly yeah. two for about uh, three years ago, and then yeah. his three films all come out in the same day. Or yeah. it does look kind of cool. like it does look great. I'd say it got a lot of money, and there was a lot of conditions where the Tom Bernthal had to be in it and Tom Holland, because like yeah. no way is it kind of getting like it does have quite a high production value, and the violence and the 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 fights in it all look excellent. You know. Okay, so that's a little bit of the original score from the soundtrack of the new romantic comedy The Big Sick from director Michael Showalter, which stars Kumail Nanjani as Kumail, a young Muslim man whose parents are trying to set up and arrange marriage for him, but he's not having any of it and is falling for a white girl named Emily, played by Zoe Kazan. They They hit a bit of a speed bump when she discovers all of the intricacies of his family's Muslim traditions, and she then contracts a mystery illness and goes into a coma, which leaves Kumail as the point of contact in the hospital as her parents arrive. So we hadn't seen The Big Sick when we were we were recording the podcast, but it's out on July 28th, and Carol and I had an opportunity to see it just before we went on holidays. So we're here on holidays recording this to splice into the podcast alongside Bork and Lisa's little bit. Hello, Carol. Hello, Hello Nigel. How are you? I'm okay. Good, good, good. So what did you think of The Big Sick? Well, I really enjoyed it. 
Um, so <clears throat> I think I really enjoy Camille as a as a lead actor. I think he's got a very like nice kind of deadpan, you know, humor, uh, and that kind of prevails throughout the whole thing, and it makes it you know very enjoyable. Um, yeah, I think so, and I think he people will know him from being in in uh, Silicon Valley and his own stand up stuff, and he's kind of been a supporting actor in a lot of um, Hollywood pictures but mm. then this is really like a huge step so yeah he's very familiar but I you know I, I think this is his first kind of lead role and and I, I thought he did really well in it you know yeah so um, the film starts pretty I guess traditionally we say that with act one just being guy meets girl they kind of realise they can't really be together due to mm. some sort of thing so they end up having a bit of a break um, I actually thought that that was probably the weakest part of the film um, at the start because we're kind of you know we're retreading a lot of the the, the stuff that we've seen in these kind of films before and um, possibly you enjoyed that a bit more because you were a woman and maybe it is a woman's picture um, oh. <laughs> but no but then where I think it really comes to life is actually when um, Emily gets sick and goes into hospital and then we get to meet the parents um, which becomes like a very strange, I don't know what sort of uh, reading you could take into that, but like it, it then becomes Camille spending time with um, Ray Romano and Holly Hunter as mm. the parents. And they initially, they know that, they, that the couple have had problems and are kind of broken up slash on a break. And so initially they're really cold and mm. tough to him and Holly Hunter doesn't really take any prisoners there but uh yeah i loved i loved hallie hunter and ray romano as emily's parents i thought they were brilliant and yes i think the film definitely picked up there i think hallie hunter is just i just love her voice i could listen to her all day um and and there was something that's sort of rang very true about the the sort of parent camille's parents-in-law with with the mum sort of saying like we know all about you we've heard it all and um I don't know, maybe it just reminds me of my mum. You know, like, I think, you know, mums bear grudges on behalf of their daughters. And it just, it, it for me, it, it felt, like, nicely three-dimensional, not to, yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. And it kind of transpires in that their marriage isn't perfect. Like, they're kind of working through some stuff themselves. And so this is effectively a bit of a distraction, in a way, for them. And that, I think, works really well, because then Camille becomes, like, their surrogate son-in-law even though mm. uh, let's say okay she goes into a coma Emily's in a coma and yet all this character development and family bonding is going on and she's you know not present for it so yeah. obviously it's not you know we're not gonna she doesn't die in the coma I'm gonna give that spoiler away because otherwise she would do very little in the film so we're not gonna reveal where it exactly goes with it but in that third act then it becomes a whole new thing of rebuilding and stuff and I I don't know I thought that was great I thought that was really very 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 strong um, what did you think of the Muslim side of things so um, Camille's parents and his brother his brother who went through a an arranged marriage and the parents then who have their hopes and dreams set on yeah, this I guess I Pakistani kind of, I, American so I had dream. a I, I, you know before I went to see it I sort of read uh, you know a small article you know, I can't even remember where I found it, but it was, you know, a guy going to see it with with his friend of, you know, who was a woman of colour and, you know, she was unimpressed by the representation of, you know, women of colour in the film. And I, I guess I had that going into the film and I would have to concur uh, with her, you know, the Muslim women don't, you know, they, they very much to me came across as the most two-dimensional 
characters, which kind of makes sense because, you know, it's Camille's own story. So obviously he's a very well-developed character and he co-wrote it. He co-wrote the script with his with his real Emily, his real wife. And so her character, I thought, was also quite quite well-developed and believable. And I thought her parents were believable. I thought his parents were believable and with intricacies and even the way his... I, I enjoyed actually his parents uh, and how they responded to this sort of unfolding drama and you know they weren't you know they weren't I didn't find them black and white I found them you know like there's lots of nice moments where that you can see they're kind of conflicted with you know love for their son and their sort of their heritage yeah and their hopes yeah yeah and but and so but but yes I would have to say like you know even though even though this is you know one man's story and it's one you know it's just Camille's own own, his own one love story that he's telling, I still thought his, I guess, the representation of the women who his mum is trying to set him up with in terms of arranged marriage. Um, Quite one-dimensional, very simplistic. Yeah, they're and, just, and, I guess they're know, just devices more than anything um, to enable that to Yeah, and to they very much feel like that. And there's, there's one or two that I would f- find, you know, like almost offensive, I guess, for for women of colour because there's one woman who and it features in the, in the trailer so I don't think it's a spoiler but you know she's kind of like um, I don't know she's just like the, the bit goofy who watches yeah, the goofy. X-Files yeah yeah yeah, yeah. the yeah. truth is out there yeah, you know and yeah. the sort of very like you know the very exaggerated accent and you know she's supposed to have you know grown up in America too I think yeah. you know and um yeah, and it, it it actually touches. There's one or two very good where I had issues with that during it as well, whether it was a pro or anti-Muslim or pro. But it's ultimately, it's an American film. It's a Hollywood film. Um, Camille moved to America as a, maybe nine or ten or something, was that it? Um, I think when they moved to America. So it's about the kind of the American dream in effect. And I don't know, I actually liked it as showing the reality of his existence there as someone who comes from this heritage and Muslim stuff and like there's a couple of jokes about what how 9-11 impacted and terrorism and ISIS and all that but a little bit like Master of None on Netflix where Aziz Ansari kind of owns it as this sort of effectively a second generation in his case Indian American um, and you get to see what his world is kind of like where there's bits of the culture but you're not really into the into the faith part necessarily or some of the different traditions and yet even though your parents are because that's their life and where they came from so mm-hmm. I don't know it's it's you could you could write a a doctorate on the whole thing if you wanted but for I think as an American romantic comedy uh, very 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 strong um, and I would challenge anyone who isn't smiling at the very very final scene to you know get in touch and I'll tell them that they've no heart. Anyway. <laughs> so anyway, I'd be in the camp about four out of five. Yeah, I would be similar four. All right. So we, we'll just finish up with a short clip from it of this is where Emily and Camille are meeting in the bar uh, just at the end. And then a little bit of music from the soundtrack, the My Love by The Bird and the Bee, which sounded like Regina Spector, but isn't. And then we'll cut back into the past with uh, Nigel and Pork. <laughs> Hi. Hi. Hello. Um, my name's Kamel. <laughs> yeah, we know. Yeah, we saw you before. Now that the niceties are out of the way, um, I have to tell you that when you yelled at me, it really threw me off, and uh, you really shouldn't heckle comedians. It's so rude. I didn't heckle you. I just woohooed you. It's supportive. Okay, that's a common misconception. Uh-huh. Yelling anything at a comedian is considered heckling. Heckling doesn't have to be negative. 
So if I if I yelled out like, "You're amazing in bed," <laughs> that'd be a heckle. Yeah, it would be an accurate heckle. Cool. Wow. <laughs> Bye. Oh. No, oh, you can. I'm going. <laughs> you scared my friend off now. There you go. So many films. Busy, busy month. Um, uh, we'll have a quick think then about what's coming in August. Mine is out on August the 2nd. Uh, Valerian and the City of a Thousand Planets from Luc Besson. So one of the few truly unique directors working today. And uh, loved, I loved Lucy. <laughs> uh, and anyway, this stars Dane DeHaan, Cara Delavigne, and I can't pronounce her name. You know who I'm talking about. Yeah. And Clive Owen. Dane um, DeHaan looking more and more like Mr. Burns. Yeah, he's <laughs> aging. With every film. Rapidly. Um, I just love the look of this in the trailer and the world that's kind of created. So uh, can't wait to get to see it. What you got? Uh, Atomic Blonde, which I seem to have been seeing trailers for for about the last four months. Stars Charlize Theron. Uh, it's coming out on the 9th of August, but looks great. Kind of um, set in the 80s in Berlin, you know, have to catch Devil's Spy before the wall falls. And Charlize Theron seems to be a savage killing machine. So looks great fun. Yeah. Hopefully the trailer hasn't given away all the film. That's true. I saw Salt, the Angelina Jolie film on TV a couple of months ago and was kind of reminded that... Still have Some never of these seen films that. are very capable yeah. when they allow the women to do things. Um, anyway, uh, we'll go back to where we started. If you want to introduce... Yes, so uh, did I like Dunkirk or not? Anyway, so there was a film in 1958 called Dunkirk. And uh, it's kind of gas if... Uh, we'll play the kind of trailer clip for it now. But if you're on YouTube, go and have a look and just see where the world of film has gone in 50, 60... 60 years 59, 59 years. years see the difference you know in trailers and whatnot so um yeah dunkirk go on winston churchill etc yeah all right and we'll see you at the tail end of august when we'll be into oscar buzz festival no? season jesus sir winston churchill changed the very course of history when he declared we shall fight on the sea on land in the streets we shall never surrender Dunkirk, a very human story of men who were afraid and those who wouldn't let them be. I've never kicked a man lying down before, but this may be the moment to start. Now get your feet, we're moving. A sinister story of those who prospered on treachery and betrayal. Unlimited petrol and all the whiskey you want. You're sitting pretty, aren't you, Holden? Yes, it's a lovely war. Dunkirk is a graphic story of everyday men and women heroically daring the reckless reality of sudden total war. Here is explosive action drama that pounds your pulses and stirs your emotions. I think this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship. Take one. 